If you haven't already, please take your Bibles and turn um, to the book of John and chapter 20. Book of John chapter 20. If you're our guest today, you should know that, that we work our way through books of the Bible here at Redeemer. And so for the last about 30 weeks, we've been working our way through the gospel of John and we're done. This is it. This is the last message today. This is kind of our summary message. So some of you are like, amen, finally. And some of you are like, oh no, that was good. Most of you are probably somewhere in between. I have to say that studying John in depth has been profoundly helpful, powerful, convicting, and shaping for me. And I hope that it has been for you as well. We've studied John's gospel under the banner of seeing Jesus. That's been our goal, that, that all of us would see Jesus more clearly and align our lives with him and follow him into his world. And so several months ago, we began John's gospel by looking at John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, which Suzanne just read for us. And, and um, that is the purpose statement, that is the thesis statement, that is the main point of John's gospel. John said, Jesus did many things, but I wrote the things that are in this book so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So we open John's gospel by looking at these two verses, and I want to close John's gospel by looking at these two verses as well. So um, to not bury the lead and just kind of put all my cards out there, the main point of this message today is that, that you and I would be compelled to see Jesus to look to him, to hear his word, to call upon him, to believe in him, believing that in him is life and life everlasting. Believing in him is hope for your world, hope for your struggles, hope for your family, hope for your community, hope for this community, and hope for the world. I want you to be compelled to look to Jesus. And I want you to be compelled to help others do the same. So this morning, our sermon is entitled, The Path We Walk. And I want to consider what it looks like to begin seeing Jesus and to help others begin seeing Jesus and to continue seeing Jesus and to help others continue seeing Jesus. That's what we want to do this morning. So for my note-taking friends, our first point this morning, seeing Jesus seeing Jesus. The, the purpose of John's gospel, that's this book of 21 chapters, the, the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of the ministry of Jesus Christ, the purpose of God in the world from before the foundations of the world, was that Jesus of Nazareth, who was the Christ, the Son of God, would be seen as God's Savior, God's Messiah, the agent through whom God will bless His world and build His kingdom. That's the purpose. And this reality of having our eyes opened and having the, the scales 
peeled off and fall off of our eyes is something that we all needed at one point in our lives before we saw Christ clearly and the ability to see Christ more and more clearly to experience joy in life through him is what we will be doing for the rest of our days and for all of eternity. So if you're here today, kind of exploring Christianity, exploring what we believe, exploring the faith, this is the day. Because I hope what you'll see in this passage is that that you most need God to show you himself through his son, Jesus. And I believe he's eager to do that. And those of us who are a part of the community of faith, those of us who believe, those of us who identify with Christ, those of us who carry his name in the world, the challenge for us is to believe that we don't need to move on from Jesus to something else, but what we need is to see Jesus more clearly. We've got a marriage class. It goes on in these first four rows up here every Sunday morning. Our marriages need us to see Jesus more clearly. Our insecurities, our fears, our anxieties, our doubts, our losses, our sufferings, all of them need us to see Christ more clearly because when we see him, we're drawn to him. And when we're drawn to him, we belong to him. And when we belong to him, he ministers to us. And when he ministers to us, all things are made new. And this is the hope of the gospel. So I'm here to tell you today that, yeah, I might have the title pastor of Redeemer Church, but I'm a sinful, broken man who needs to see Jesus more clearly. And what Redeemer Church needs is for her leaders to see Jesus more clearly. Not because we don't, but because seeing him more clearly is how we have vision and how we follow after him. And what Redeemer Church needs is leaders who see Jesus more clearly so that they'll winsomely present Jesus so that you can see him more clearly. Because when we see him, things are changed. So John says that his purpose in writing this book and his purpose in telling the story of Jesus, and we would add the purpose of God in the world, is that Christ would be seen clearly. And so John says that this book was written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that you, by believing, may have life in his name. So let's just walk through that for a couple minutes if we can. First of all, you. You. That should be a powerfully inviting word. John believes that Jesus desires to reveal himself to you so that you may have life in the here and now and life everlasting. You. It's as if John is shouting, there is room at the cross for all of us. 
Whatever you brought today, whatever you carry as that thing that weighs you down, that you think can never be changed and will always identify you, here is John saying, you, you. And then it's like he knows that there's going to be some pharisaical religious people reading this book too. The ones who have it all together and the ones who don't need anything because they have all the right answers and all the right doctrine and they can explain everything clearly and they can dot every I and they can cross every T and they can tell the world why the world's wrong and why it's going to hell. You need Jesus too. You need to see Jesus. And so I'm writing this book so that you will see Christ and you'll be changed by Jesus. I'm writing, John says, so that you will believe. The word believe here is not cognitive acceptance. The word believe here is complete trust. I wholly accept who Jesus is, and I wholly recognize that my only hope, the world's only hope, is in him, and so I'm all in with Jesus. I'm completely entrusting myself to him. I mean, do you guys realize what a scary proposition Uber is? Some of you are like, what? Uber is like the new taxi cab, okay? So you go on an app, and you, you put, I need a ride, and it tells every Uber driver in the world where you are and that you're eager to get in their car as long as it has a sticker that you can buy for 50 cents on Amazon. And so then they come to you, and you electronically pay them so that you can get in their car alone, like the first time my wife needed to get to the airport by like 5 a.m., I was like, you need to get an Uber. And then when she shut the door with Scary Man at 4.30 in front of our house to go, who knows? I was like, what have I done? But that is in trust right there. I was entrusting my wife to the security protocols and the background checks of Uber to keep her safe right? That's what's going on here when, Jesus, when, when John says, I'm writing so that you will entrust your soul in the here and now and in forever in Jesus. That, that we would entrust ourselves to Jesus because of who he is, what he taught, what he did, and the fact that he lived, he died, and he rose again. So when John says that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that means God's chosen messenger, God's anointed one, God's bringer of God's blessing. You would believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. What John is saying is that you would recognize through the life, the teaching, the miracles, the work, the death upon a cross, and the resurrection of the third day, that you would recognize that Jesus is indeed our only hope, and we would entrust ourselves to him. This is what Christ came to do. And Christ promises, as John tells us, that everyone who entrusts themselves to Jesus finds life. Finds life. I think we just skip over that. We go, oh yeah, yeah, dude, I'm alive. The grass is alive. The 37 deer that live out back, they're alive. 
There's four fawns if you want to go out there and ooh and ah later after church, okay? They're alive. We, we neglect to realize that life is a gift. The world is dying and decaying. Death is knocking on all of our doors. Brokenness and sin are everywhere. The effects of sin are weighing all of us down. And here comes Jesus to say, in me you may have life. Life is that which is good, that which is joyful, that which is fullness, that which is eternal, that which transcends all that this world can give us. Basically what I'm saying is is what we yearn for so deeply that we can't even put into words. Jesus said, I am your life and I give you that. So there's this weird tension about life here of like, did Jesus die so that we could go to heaven when we die? Yes, he did. There is an afterlife and Christ controls it. But does that mean that we just kind of have to be curmudgeonly unhappy people meandering through this world until we die? No, because Christ is with us now, and he intends by his Spirit to transform how we live now so that we can experience the joy of belonging to Christ now. And I think the church would be well served if Twitter as a platform would be obliterated today, immediately. Because we're not communicating joy in life, but we're communicating so many other messages. If you know what that means, you can chuckle on the inside. If you don't, forget that I said it. But Jesus came so that we would have life in his name. So those sins that beset us and dominate us, that's the consequence of death. And Jesus came to give life. That relational turmoil that shapes our living, that's shaped by sin and death. And Jesus came to speak hope and life into that relational turmoil. That inability to sleep at night, wondering what's going to become of the world and wondering what bad thing might happen to us tomorrow. Jesus came to give hope for tomorrow so that we can rest in him. Jesus came to give life and joy and peace and forgiveness and acceptance to all who will believe in his name. So I want to ask you, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen him? And if you've seen him, have you believed in him? Have you accepted him? Have you moved toward him? This is why John's gospel was written, and and this is why we've navigated through these 21 chapters, because we wanted to see Christ. Now, what I want to do by way of application and and the rest of this sermon is I, I want us to ask this one question. How do we help people see Jesus? And how do we ourselves learn to see Jesus? You guys with me? Like, like the rest of the sermon is taking this one truth that Christ came so that we may believe that he is the, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we may have life in his name. If that's why Christ came, then the rest of the sermon is, is wrestling with how do we do that? How do we do that? And so I have two things for us to consider. Number one, and this will be the second point, how do we learn to see Jesus? And then number two, How do we help others see Jesus? So my note-taking friends, our second point this morning, learning to see Jesus. 
So I think there's something about our kind of Baptistic, Protestant, evangelical movement. And that is when we talk about the gospel of Jesus and we talk about the faith that comes in Jesus, we love to focus on a particular moment in time, right? We love to focus on when was the instant that I was translated from death into life? When was the instant when I moved from lost to found, from guilty to forgiven? When was that instant? And I want to be really, really clear. I think if you read the, 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 the Bible clearly, every one of us who is a Christian, there was a moment where the work of the Holy Spirit opened our eyes fully, caused us to believe, and in that moment we were translated from death to life. But I think in that, only focusing on that one little sliver of space and time, we forget how much work God was doing for years and decades before to bring us to that moment, and how much more work God has to do. You guys with me? We just focus on the moment, but we forget everything that went into the moment. And if we're to say that the church of Jesus exists so that we will see Jesus and help others see Jesus, I think we have to broaden our perspective beyond the moment. Okay, everybody with me here? I don't want to confuse anybody. Okay, I'm kind of doing Sunday school here. We're good. Can I give you a historical example of what I'm talking about? There was this famous story that I learned in seminary that was so overwhelming. It was a story of an 1800s preacher named Elias Keach. This is how the story gets, go, gets told. Elias Keach was the son of Benjamin Keach, who was a famous pastor. And Elias was at a revival meeting, and they looked down, and they saw that the famous brother Keach's son was here, and so he must be able to preach. The problem was Elias was not a Christian and he had run away from his family to get away from their legalism and their biblical rules and their authority. So Elias, wanting to make a little money and to save face, came up to stage and began to preach one of his father's sermons. And in the middle of preaching his father's sermon, the Spirit of God convicted him, and he broke down, and he cried out for mercy, and he confessed his deception, and he confessed his brokenness, and he was converted while preaching a sermon on a stage at a revival meeting. I mean, that's like revivalism bundled up into the perfect package, right? It's true. I believe from reading about this that it really happened. I believe that Mr. Keach walked onto that stage as a fraud who was separated from God, who needed to meet Jesus and find life. And he found it in that moment as the Spirit of God powerfully convicted him through the Word of God, which he was preaching. But what we fail to realize is how many times young Keach sat on the front row listening to his father preach the gospel. And how many times young Keach was exhorted by older Pastor Keach to repent and believe? And how many times they sat around the kitchen table opening the Bible and explaining the truths of Jesus and the older Keach calling the younger Keach to believe? And we forget how many times older Mr. Keach and older Mrs. Keach, broken and in tears, hit the floor 
crying out to God for God to come and open the eyes of their son. And we forget how many times they were deliberately pleading and longing for God to bend the heart of their son. And what we forget is that all of that spanned over decades was how God was at work to help younger Mr. Keach see Jesus. And every step along that path is evangelism. And every step along that path is building the kingdom of Jesus. And if we only focus on the moment, we'll get discouraged. If we only focus on the moment, we'll think that God's not using us. If we only focus on the moment, Satan will convince us that no one will ever believe. So my plea this morning is to take a step back and see how God is moving people closer and closer and closer to the point where they can see Jesus clearly and believe. And I think what we have in John's gospel is permission to think this way. Permission to think this way. So so hear me out. I want us to consider the person of Nicodemus in the gospel of John. So in in our verse, John chapter 20, verse 30, John says, Jesus did many signs in the presence of his disciples. John 21, 25, John says, if we were to try to write everything that Jesus did, the world could not contain all the books that it would fill up. So John's saying, I have selectively chosen some events to make a point to teach you what it's like for others to see Jesus. And buried in John's gospel, very subtly, is the story of this character named Nicodemus. And what we see running throughout John's gospel is Nicodemus encountering Jesus, going away, coming closer to the kingdom, encountering Jesus, going away, coming closer to the kingdom. And then we see Nicodemus at great expense to himself publicly identifying with the people of Jesus as he helps to bury Jesus. We're going to look at that. But, but I think what what. If we believe that every word in this gospel is there to help us understand this, then I don't think it's an accident that this character Nicodemus kind of develops along the way. All right, you guys with me? So let's just develop the character of Nicodemus in the gospel of John. Nicodemus first appears in John's gospel. Let me just be clear. I really wish we had more about Nicodemus. Like I really wish that he would have showed up in Acts chapter 3 and been like a deacon or a key figure, or something. But, but, so, so there's an absence of full information, but I believe that what's here is here for a purpose. So John chapter 3, right? The most quoted passage in the Scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him shall not die but have everlasting life. Like, you can't even read it without using the King James version of it, right? Like, it's just plugged in your head. But this story happens when Nicodemus who was a teacher and a ruler of Israel, comes to Jesus by night. And if you want to just have proof that Bible teachers miss the forest for the trees, like go, go look up all the pages upon pages upon pages of ink that have been spilled about what John meant by the word night here. I, I think what he meant was Nicodemus didn't want to be seen. Seems pretty obvious to me. Maybe I'm a simpleton. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, and he's wrestling. We can see in in John chapter 3, verse 2, he's wrestling with who Jesus is. 
He comes to Jesus by night. He says, Rabbi, which means he's showing him some deference. We know that you are a teacher come from God. So I can clearly see that you're a man from God, for no one can do the things that you do unless God is with him. So basically what Nicodemus is saying is he's like, Jesus, I wrestle with your identity. I wrestle with your ministry. I wrestle with your miracles. Could you please tell me who you are and what you came to do. So Nicodemus is a teacher of Israel who comes in hiding to try to inquire about who Jesus is. So he meets with Jesus and Jesus in that very Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence the people kind of way that Jesus had, that was facetious, said, well, you know what, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Like you're, you're not of the kingdom. You might be a teacher of Israel, but you don't understand things. You need to be born Again, so Nicodemus is challenged by Jesus that he needs to see and receive and believe in Jesus. And then the story moves on, and we're left to wonder, like, is that the end? But then John chapter 7, verses 50, 51, and 52 Nicodemus appears again, and John goes out of his way to make sure that it's not the Nicodemus down the road, but it's the same Nicodemus. Nicodemus who had gone to him before. And so what happens in John 50, 51, and 52 is the leaders of Israel, of whom Nicodemus had a position of status and a place of leadership, are wanting to condemn Jesus and have him killed But Nicodemus speaks up and defends Jesus and says, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? Now, you could read that. That was chapter 7, verse 51. Is Nicodemus just making a point of order, right? Like every church has that guy that just wants to make a point of order. May agree with you. He just wants you to know that he can make a point of order, right? We know that guy, okay? So, So you could read that and say, So was Nicodemus just making a point of order here? Like, hey guys, let's kill him, but let's not kill him illegally. But then read how they replied, verse 52. They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So their response was, Nicodemus, don't don't, don't go there. Don't be deceived. So Nicodemus has come by night to inquire of Jesus. We don't know what's transpired over the impending days. And now we see this character, Nicodemus, speaking up, and defending Jesus before his brethren. Nicodemus disappears again. We hear nothing until John chapter 19. John chapter 19. This is where Jesus has been delivered to be crucified, where he's died. He is a, he's dead. He's had a spear poked in his side. And we're told, this is John chapter 19, beginning in verse um, 38 through 42, that Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but he was a secret disciple because he was afraid of the Jews, he went and asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. So Joseph came and took away the body, and there with Joseph is Nicodemus. Again, not to be confused with the Nicodemus down the road, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, and he came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So what you see is now this Nicodemus who came by night and had questions and was confronted by Jesus, who then spoke up for Jesus in public, but then disappeared off the scene. We see him at the burial of Jesus, becoming 
ceremonially and religiously unclean for the Passover, which was on the next day, to bury Jesus and at great cost to himself. This 75 pounds, like 75 pounds of anything is a lot, but most people believe that this would be the amount of spice that would be reserved for the burial of a king or a pharaoh or a ruler of Rome. Nicodemus, of his own money, brings this and uses it to anoint the body of Jesus in public as he's placed in a tomb. Now look, we have to be careful not to read into Scripture what Scripture doesn't say. It doesn't tell us that Nicodemus was a disciple. It doesn't tell us to call him brother Nicodemus. It doesn't tell us that he became a preacher or that he was martyred for the faith. But I think what we can say with great assurance is that as Nicodemus encountered Jesus, his disposition toward Jesus was progressively being changed. Does that seem fair? And as his disposition was progressively being changed, his willingness to identify with Jesus was increasing. So we can pray that, that anointing the physical body of Jesus wasn't the end of the line for Nicodemus, and we don't really know. But I'm left to say, why is this in John? Why is John straining so hard to show us this character development of Nicodemus? I think he's doing so because it shows us how most people come to Jesus. Most people come to Jesus through multiple encounters and multiple types of encounters where their disposition toward Jesus is progressively changed. Let me say that one more time. Most people come to Jesus through multiple encounters and multiple types of encounters where their disposition and their doubts and their fears and their belief in him is progressively changed. I, that's the only logical reason that I can come up with why this story of Nicodemus is placed in John's gospel. If each of those three events were just intended to stand alone, you could have just said a religious leader, a religious leader, a religious leader. But I believe this is in here to show us how we see Jesus. We tend to see him progressively through multiple encounters and multiple types of of encounters. Who in this room has been a Christian longer than 30 years? Can I see your hand? All right, first of all, young people, we need to honor these folks, okay? But leave them up, leave them up. How many of you have had something about who Christ is clearly revealed to you for the first time in the last five years? You, you see what I'm saying? We don't always see perfectly. Paul actually says we see now as through a glass dimly, and we are progressively brought to see who Christ is and to receive who he is through multiple encounters and in multiple ways over periods of time where our dispositions are gradually changed. So here's what this means, okay? Number one, if you are in Christ, God is not done with you. You still need to see Jesus more clearly. The power is in Christ. Number two, that person at Redeemer, we're not going to point fingers or look over our shoulders, so everybody look at me, okay? That person at Redeemer who annoys the life out of you, who has the biggest blind spot in their life, and you can't believe how any follower of Jesus could miss that, you know what I'm talking about? 
the Lord will work that out in their lives as He progressively reveals His Son to them. And you should pray to that end. And guess what? Everybody else is saying that about you too. And the Lord will progressively work that out in your life as He leads you to see Jesus more clearly. Now, those of you who are here today and you're not yet seeing Christ in a way that you would accept Him, receive Him, or believe in Him. Maybe you even completely disbelieve. I'm so glad you're here today, and I would just plead with you. Keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Him. Perhaps you're a very new believer. Perhaps you're very new to this thing called Christianity. Never take your eyes off of Christ. There's no extra layer. Jesus is everything. So then, final point. Not only is it the will of God that we would see Jesus more clearly, it's the will of God that we would help others see Jesus more clearly. So the third point is helping others see Jesus. Let's just boil this down for a minute. Because, you know, we're good expository people, and if the Bible doesn't say it, we shouldn't believe it. That's actually true. But why did John write this? Why did John write this? So that more people would see Jesus. So it was John's purpose in writing that this kingdom of Jesus would expand. So we take up with John, and we say... How do we help others see Jesus? And my compelling to you today is to let this story of Nicodemus be an encouraging story to you. I'll be really clear. I do believe that there are people in the world who have a dream about Jesus, go knock on a door, hear the gospel, and immediately believe. It's happening all over the Muslim world. I believe that happens. I believe there are people who accidentally humanly speaking, accidentally walk through church doors, hear the gospel, and immediately believe. I believe there are people for whom something bad happens in their life, and immediately God makes sense to them, and they believe. But for most people, even those, it is a progressive thing whereby we are meeting Christ over and over and over in multiple different ways, and our eyes and our dispositions are progressively being changed toward him. So pray for the moment, work for the moment, minister for the moment, preach for the moment, call people to the moment, ask people to repent and believe. But if you're going to stay in the game of helping others see Jesus, we have to expand our horizons and be willing to be the person that helps one person take one step closer to seeing Jesus more clearly. And I don't think we like that. I don't think we like that. Wait, 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 you mean... You just want me to help somebody take one step closer to Jesus so that someone else can lead them to Christ? Yes. You mean that you want the people of Redeemer to pour our lives into somebody so that they can go to another church here in town? Well, that wouldn't be ideal. But if they meet Christ and the kingdom grows, then yes. Dave, put your hand up. Dave Crendell. Dave is planting a PCA church here in Hendersonville. 
Most of that row or some of that row, his family and others want to be a part of that church. I'm so glad they're here and I can't wait for them to launch and I can't wait for them to build the kingdom and I can't wait for people to see Jesus through them. And if that happens, we all win. And if some people come to Redeemer with him for a while to hang out and hear about Christ so they can go be a part of his church, well, I'm not going to be happy about it. Me and Dave will arm wrestle in the parking lot, but the kingdom wins. And Marshall's right here. Marshall, put your hand up. Marshall's planting a church in East Nashville. And if any of you go with him, I will hate you forever. <laughs> Except... Marshall is working to see the gospel expand in East Nashville. And if some people from East Nashville come and hang out here for a while and hear the gospel and start to believe and have their disposition toward Jesus changed so they can go bear fruit in East Nashville, guess what? Jesus wins. It's not about me. It's not about Redeemer. It's not about Hendersonville. It's about Christ drawing people to himself and him being exalted. And I want us to do more to help people progressively come to encounter Jesus. So number one, people need to encounter Jesus. What this passage tells us is they don't need to encounter my perfect family. They don't need to encounter my life without struggle because we know those are all lies anyway. They don't need to encounter the Bible guy who has all the answers. They don't need to encounter the branch of theology that makes us all poke our chest out and be exalted and feel better than other people. What they need to encounter is the resurrected Jesus who reveals himself through his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit. Show people Christ. Open your Bible. Speak John or Mark or Luke or Matthew to them and let them encounter Jesus. Number two, people need to encounter Jesus multiple times. People need to encounter Jesus multiple times. I mean, maybe I'm the only one who's so naive, but this is how this usually plays out in my life. I meet somebody at the baseball field, clearly far from Christ, start praying for them, start befriending them, start having them over, invite them to church. They come once to be nice. They come back a second time, and they disappear. And in my unbelieving, quick results, very materialistic, suburban heart and mind, I go, well, I guess they're not going to believe. And I move on. Don't look at me like I'm the bad one. You do the same thing. Right? But we know that, right? But the goal is not to get them to church. The goal is not to get them in a, in a seat as comfortable as those seats might be, unless you're in the back. And I'm sorry about that. We do the best we can. Um, the goal is for people to meet Jesus. And you know what? The third thing, so second, people will need to encounter Jesus in multiple times. It might take multiple, 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 multiple exposures to who Jesus is for it to make sense, to, for it to be heard, for it to be received. Take the long view. Third, people need to encounter Jesus in multiple ways. People need to encounter Jesus in multiple ways. Look, the clearest and the best and the most profound and the most biblical way to meet with Christ is to open the word of God where Christ is revealed and show people Jesus. Show people what he said, okay? But 
people can experience the love of Christ through us as we love as we've been loved. Never to replace the message of the gospel, but to breathe life and to give validity to the message of the gospel. Go love your neighbors well. Go love your coworkers well. Listen, ask questions, become a friend, spend time, dwell. But people need to encounter Jesus in multiple ways. And if the only way that we can let people encounter Jesus is to drag them to church with us, that's better than nothing. But I would say pray for people. Learn to study the gospel with people. Learn to pour yourself out in love as a way to serve as you've been served and to love as you've been loved and to show justice and mercy as you've been shown justice and mercy and do it all so that people will see Jesus. Then we as a church, we're going to do tangible corporate things to help out. Like we have a movie night in six days. Six days. The purpose of the movie night is not to see the movie because we've all seen it before. It's from like 1985. Air Jordans were still cool. The purpose of the movie night is to convey that we're in this community and we love this community and we care about this community and we care about the individuals of the community and to start building relationships so that we can point people to Jesus. Come on down next Saturday night. It'll be a great way to get started. But this message isn't about movie nights. It's about a way of life that says, I need to see Jesus more clearly. My brothers and sisters need to see Jesus more clearly. And the world needs to see Jesus more clearly. And I'm going to be a part of that.